Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HaremTG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. I've lost for words. I, I was just thinking, I was lost I was lost in your introduction, I'm sorry. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm also joined by Gabriel C. Hey, what's up, uh, everyone? So, in today's episode, we have quite an interesting one. It's going to be a bit all over the place, but we're going to be getting into modern, historic, and a bit of standard, which is going to be interesting. Uh, mostly modern, and then mostly historic, and then possibly a bit of standard, because I think Pat's the only one who played the format, maybe? Or have you played it as well, Gab? I've probably played as many matches as Gab, but you know, I've, okay. it's the only Magic Arena thing that I've been playing. Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense. Okay. Well, before we get into the episode, as always, the podcast is sponsored by Card Market. Um, so we got to shout them out. They're a marketplace online to buy anything card game related. Doesn't have to be Magic. Doesn't have to be Yu-Gi-Oh. Could be Pokemon if you'd like. Go check it out. You can get sleeves. You can get singles. You can sell your own stuff there. It's an amazing website. I've been using it for a long time, and I'm sure you all know by now. I stream on their Twitch. I do on their YouTube. They're a great website. Go check them out. Cardmarket.com. Cardmarket.eu. Um, as you can hear, Gab scrolling, he's probably browsing the website right now. But if you would like to support the podcast personally, then the best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweek game. We appreciate all our Patreons, but if you like to support us, that's the best place to do so. Get into the Patreon, Discord, whatever. You could get some merch if you'd like. You might see us wearing some midweek metagame shirts every now and then. Blah, blah, blah. I think that's everything I needed to say. Oh, if you want to listen to anything specific, always got timestamps in the description of the podcast. So if you want to skip to anything that we uh, talk about, go check it out there. And I guess we should just jump straight into things modern this week. I probably am the one who played the most modern, so I guess I should start. Does that sound right? It just sounds reasonable to me. But there's been three big events over the weekend as well, which is kind of probably going to be okay. the focus of our, sure, of, sure. Of, our, of our discussion. There was both a modern showcase and then there was uh, two modern challenges as well, I believe. Or is it a PDQ and a showcase and some challenges? I, I'm not. I'm not 100 certain. There were some big tournaments over the weekend on Magic Online. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're going to be getting into those. I guess I'll just start off my testing first to make it easy, and then do some uh, event analysis. So I played three main decks this week. Obviously, I focused on four color control. I think I five would with it last episode. So you know, I was just running it back, seeing how I feel with the list. I made no changes apart from the fact that. I actually played with a 15-card sideboard this time to wear tear. What's funny is I did worse with the deck once I completed the sideboard as 15 cards, which I found interesting. But um, yeah, I really like the deck. I only bumped into a few Blood Moons, and I still I think I beat every Blood Moon I went up against. I think maybe I lost to one out of Blue Red Merc Tide. Um, Blood Moon wasn't really serving me a problem. What was actually the problem for the deck? I lost against Mill a couple times. I also lost to Flood a couple times. I, I never really felt like... Um, I don't know. I felt like the deck was never letting me down when I drew its spells. It was only when I was kind of flooding, which was the problem. I think the biggest beat is like when you keep a red and six hand and then you draw all like you draw three lands, then you're drawing two lands per turn and you feel like you flood out more. I think red and six makes you feel you flood out more a lot more than you actually do. But um, yeah, that was definitely interesting. I, I also play. Sorry, I can definitely tip yeah. the, like your perception of it in the favor of me like oh i'm so unlucky and drew so many lands yeah when you when you're just like and eh, pick up a land and draw a land i pick up a land and draw a land and you're like come on anything why did i fix that triumph on turn one 
Yeah, exactly. I try it a lot of the time to keep the triumphs in the deck when I have a Ren and Six in my hand, just because if you're going to draw a land, I have two triumphs. You know, you want that two out of whatever, 20, 21 or whatever um, per draw step that if you draw a land, you get a cycling value town with Ren. Is there any space in the mana base for like even one more cycling land, like one of the fetchable ones from Amonkhet, like the ones with two two land types and they cycle for two colorless? That's interesting. I think there's a possibility. Honestly, think, yeah, what are you going to say, Gav? I think I had one in my latest list when I was playing the, the deck. I think I had a scattered drove, the white green one, on top of the two trial lands. I was yeah. debating playing the the one color one, but that felt a little bit too ambitious. And yeah, I was kind of liking the third one. I agree that the one color one's a little bit too much. I mean, you you really want to fit your base, one of each basic land in there, but even those are kind of hard to hard to play with sometimes if you kind of draw too many basics it's really hard for you to double spell on a turn yeah yeah it's, it's, it's good to know that there's still access it's still worth having the kind of the, the mana discount on cycling though for the two color one versus say just playing another triome mm -hmm. yeah we, we we've all played these games we always say how good ren and six ren and six is but it is true that I've been on both sides of these games where I've turned to Ren and Six on the play in kind of a slow matchup, and I feel like there's almost no I can lose and I end up flooding. And I've also been on the opposite side where my opponent plays Ren and Six on turn two. I'm like, well, this is dumb. How am I ever supposed to keep up in the long game? And then you play out and they kind of do nothing, and you're like, well, I guess I have just like five or six lands in hand, you know, whether it's the Omnap deck, Nev, Jaunt. Um, so yeah, it does happen, even though the card is ridiculous. It is not, I mean, it's a good thing, right? That it's not just auto in the, yeah. when you play it on turn two either. Yeah, I'm pretty grateful there's nothing like super backbreaking to to return like a wasteland or whatnot in, you know, like there was in Legacy when Brennan 6 was legal there. You know, you do a resolve it and it really does, it just means you make your land drops. And in some longer games, yeah, sure, you get the kind of, you know, you make a Howling Mine essentially from cycling. But yeah, it definitely doesn't kind of KO you on the spot in... Yeah, it completely not entirely. You're, you're not completely out of the game. You just mean you're like behind on resource advantage for a little bit. Yeah, I think um, Ryan and Six is way more. It feels way more fair in the format now that it's sped up. I definitely think like Ren and Six last meta game was definitely pushing it, but now I feel like Ren and Six is just a fair card, um, especially with everyone playing like Dothry Voidwalker. That one was really brutal to play against because obviously the it exiles the fetch land. So you can't get it back with Ren, and Ren can't ping the Voidwalker. So I felt my myself getting a lot of sticky spots where when Ren was a really good permanent on the table, but my opponent had main deck answers, which made my life difficult. So I feel like Ren and Six is starting to become like a fair card, but I can definitely see it going back to like borderline if um if let's say Mishra's Bobble gets banned or, or something like that. But I, I definitely like its kind of fairness in the format. What do what do you guys think? Doing a good, Unholy is definitely doing a good job of keeping it in check. Yeah. In terms of just, yeah, it's not the sort of thing where you have to answer on the turn, the turn they resolve it either. Like you actually have a few turns to get delirium and cast your own holy heat. And I hadn't even thought about the pressure that like yo Void Walker puts on it. Mm. So yeah, there's definitely de definitely multiple tools for colors that you know for reactive ish, you know, reactive or reactive adjacent decks to to interact with the Ren now. Yeah. One thing um I don't I know you guys haven't played much modern, but one thing I've noticed is now that everyone knows these four color decks. No one, um, no one casts Ragavan turn one really against me anymore because you can't prismatic ending a dash Ragavan. So everyone's trying to just, um, 
hone in on the fact that you know you're basically sorcery speed only and if you hold up mana they know what you're doing so a lot of my opponents now they're just you know playing fetch land bobble bobble themselves control their draw and then turn to dash rag event i see way more dash rag events now than i do hardcast rag event so i've been getting a a, a lot more scared of playing against these red black or even murktide decks because they're kind of taking advantage of that blue, blue red not so much they can't really dash at turn two because of count they want to hold up counter spell but um the red black decks have definitely been going dash mode but i don't really have much else to say about four color control i you know i really like it i'm sure you guys you know my stance really hasn't changed i've just played it and i i think i four one once and then three two three two maybe so are you, are you playing ones. the chalice version or the lightning bolt version a uh, lightning ball. I do. I played Chalice in, um, only in, uh, four color bring to light this week. Have you been playing Chalice in your control decks? No, I played it. I just played the one league for Channel Fireball's YouTube YouTube page, and it was with Canister's list, the one he used to win the the challenge. I only made one change. I only had free endurance, so I think I added a Chalice of the Void to my sideboard instead of the Force Endurance. And the deck was impressive. I went four and one. I went one and one against Etron. Etron seems to be be bad. That matchup felt tough. And um, I feel like one thing that's interesting is that um, I think each, the 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 current MVP target card used to be the two man artifacts, the coding. And I feel like in this format, it's been. Sundering Titan, really. That card just wrecks me every time I play against Karn. <laughs> these, yep. these, the, you know, and it makes sense because there's all these Omnap decks, and I've specifically been playing a lot of these Omnap decks. And you know, we talked about Unholy Heat. You've got Prismatic Command. You've got, you know, you've got ways to get to get rid of the Karn. You've got Lightning Bolt in your deck. So coding's not as scary as it used to be, but Sundering Titan is a freaking nightmare. And um. Yeah, each each runs back, I guess. It could definitely give you this kind of like heart attack though, where you're like, they like resolve, they cast a con, and you're like, okay, all right, I can probably handle like you know being stone rain one turn, then I'll deal with it, and just get tight titan and just blow up every land you ever had, and you can't ever kill the titan because it'll blow up the other half. It's just, yeah. oh, how did that happen? How did it get like this? Yeah, I'm yeah. honestly not surprised that Eldrazi Tron's back though. The, like, the trends we've seen over the last couple of weeks has been you know, Canister doing well in this challenge with Elementals, and the Elementals deck is just kind of trump essentially to people who are trying to try, trying to uh, do hammer time stuff and also grind in the mid range. So it's a kind of like play to the board, card advantage, two for one creature deck, and there's nothing that Eldrazi Tron would rather play against, I don't think, than just something you could just go over the top of really quickly with, you know. Yeah. Uh, cards like all is dust, you know, can't can't a great creator, obviously, and then just like a whole bunch of just doing doing things much faster, essentially. I call that mana acceleration rather than, you know, just like you know, F M elementals essentially playing fair in a lot of respects. Yeah, I I really think Eldrazi Trunks is kind of taking advantage of that spot in the metagame right now. Yeah, my matches were still close. You still have good late game if if you don't get you know Tron right away. You have four Furies for Solitude to to really deal with most of their threats. So, I think yeah, I think it's still close, but you know, you play Chalice. Yeah, and, uh, maybe that that, that that combination of kind of you know, FM rate plus uh, Solitude and whatnot is 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 enough to kind of get, let you keep pace in that matchup. But I do think that the Elemental set, despite not having very many one drops, is actually quite susceptible to 
to which Allison won. And it shuts down two really important cards in Ephemerate and Flamekin Harbinger, which yeah. let, really lets you tutor up extra copies of Solitudes and whatnot in the in and Risen Reef as well to, to let you grind. I think that the yeah, Eldrazitron, like Walking Bliss, is really good against Elementals as well. So it's just a, it's just the right time for Eldrazitron, I think. Who knows yeah, what happens next week? Like, you know, counter spells are like leaving the sideboard of, um, or leaving the main deck of the blue red deck. Like I've seen a lot of lists recently like, playing three or maybe two as well, like kind of circling back around to kind of compensate for like lots of the cabin of souls and then maybe the, the low to the ground elements of the format. And then also people like playing more alpine moons rather than blood moons, which means that you know, you're not quite getting like one hit KO'd by Eldrazi Tron. So just lots of things like tipping the balance in favor of that. At the yeah. But I, I like Canister's list. One thing I really like was his mana base. He's, he's not playing any Triumphs, just a bunch of dual lands, two Temple Gardens, the Cavern of Souls, and that felt really good. The list, honestly, after playing a league, I'm, I'm not even sure I would, I would change a single card. Um, I haven't really been paying attention a ton to Modern, see if he'd been playing the deck some more and if he's changed anything. But the Cavern of Souls were super good. I didn't really miss not having the cycling lands, and I don't think I really ever got color screwed in a meaningful way. Yeah, makes sense. Elemental's certainly got a lot of sticking power, though. With um, I mean, we were talking about last week, like, is this a kind of flash in the pan? But it won another challenge again this week. I think it won the showcase. It was the best okay. performing deck, I think. It's oh, every really? version was slightly different. I don't know about best performing, but most copies in the top eight over the. The challenge and the showcase. I think it's three or four copies. They're all playing like slightly different build. I think there's one that's closer to Canister's build. There's one that's kind of all creatures with just four ephemerates. Yeah, the version playing... that one has uh, a singleton lightning skeletal and Omnath Locus of the Royal, which is the one from M20, which uh, pings a pings a permanent when you when you cast it, equal number of elementals you control, and it also has some copies of Voice of Resurgence as well as uh, Vespalark in the main. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of ways you can take the deck. Yeah, they have the you know they have the harbinger to tutor the one ofs. They're obviously playing for Risen Reef for for all now. They have the the high count of solitude and furies, and they have the the awakener. That card's always a little scary uh, when it when it goes off. And um, yeah, no, elementals just super good. Somehow there's you know there's no decks really that seem that to be able to abuse the kind of mid range meta we have in modern. You would think there's there would be maybe a combo deck that would be able to abuse that or or something, but I guess cards like maybe endurance, the combo decks are kind of susceptible to endurance a lot, or they're really not just a combo deck that people can play to to exploit. To exploit. What? Sorry, I said I said the closest you have to combo. I was trying to say the closest you have to combo is uh, Team of Rhinos, no. Like that's the fastest deck, yeah. With a one know. card combo. There's ad nauseum, but that deck, that deck just kind of loses to to fairy time raveler and yeah. I was gonna say that the static um, ending. I was gonna say that um, ad nauseum does it definitely seems like the most likely candidate to be like the pure combo deck that could really exploit this. But then if you look at the way the canister builds elementals and that you know we, we assume that's the kind of the way that the, that the average the average player who picks up the deck will will choose to build it like four copies of Teferi Time Wrap or in a main mix are really hard to kind of race essentially like you can't have those you don't have so you have so few so let so many less of those turn four just you know win win through a bit of interaction uh, hands so yeah I'm um I'm not sure where the combo deck is that yeah that takes advantage of it entirely 
I will say yeah. from like the, the Merc Tide side or the kind of you know the, the the blue control side, the key the key to winning that matchup in my opinion is just keeping Cabin of Souls under wraps and keeping Ephemerate under wraps as well. If you're presenting threats, you need to interact with Ephemerate. And if you're trying to you know rely on keeping the board clean and cast counter spells, then having something that can answer their Cabin of Souls, be it Alpine Moon, Blood Moon, maybe even spreading seasons, you know, a way you can turn to kind of mitigate the mitigate the problem there of trying yeah. to just keep your mana up and, and interact with what is essentially like you know, clunky creatures yeah i think one of the problems in some ways is that also the graveyard hate is too good now we we had the opposite problem i guess before where it had to be rest in peace and ley lines and you could play stuff like spellbomb but now you just have Voidwalker, you have endurance you still have the other cards and it's almost a shame i want to say it's like all these graveyard decks that just get hated out so yeah the efficiency of endurance making it a card that you just completely fine with putting multiple copies of in your main deck is puts a lot of pressure on graveyard decks makes them almost unviable i think yeah normally we would have seen a deck like dredge come up and kind of you know chew its way through a tournament here or there but you know there's so many copies of endurance and you know void walker before endurance really got picked up in on mass so yeah yeah i think you're right it is kind of a it's it's a little bit sad that there's not this. It's one element missing in the kind of cycle of uh, how how modern more format usually usually evolves. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I tried. Speaking of old decks, I tried old blue white control or new blue white control, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I went two and three. What a surprise! There was honestly, I don't really have much to say. We all expected it. This list made the semi-finals of the modern challenge last weekend there are a lot of questionable deck building decisions like three counterspell two archmage's charm which really hurt me in the in the matches i always felt like i wanted a charm in my hand i always felt like i wanted a counterspell never really felt like i was getting there um and i really wasn't impressed i felt like uh prismatic ending was way weaker as well with only one rogrin triumph you know this deck is playing four opt um, and you have Counterspell, you f you do find it hard to fetch the Triumph sometimes in some games. So that also really hurt. Um, also, for some reason, they're playing one Wrath of God, one Supreme Verdict. It didn't really make any sense to me because my Wrath of Gods were just getting countered by Blue Red Murktide. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know why. Yeah, I don't know why they're playing that. Well, the, the obvious answer is Meddling Mage, but I can't yeah, imagine but... being more afraid of Meddling Mage than I am of like <laughs> a deck with... Dragon Rage Channel and Murktide Region and Counterspell in it. The deck's even playing Solitude and Force of Negation, so you want to be able to pitch them to both. But I couldn't pitch the Wrath to the Force as well. This is just um, punishing you for blind-clicking copy deck and paste deck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to try... Well, if you can top for a challenge, I thought it'd be decent, but then I, I didn't even notice the Wrath of God. But then it was also playing one Blossoming Calm, like the Veil of Summer, but you don't draw a card, or your spells can still be countered. You say it's you like, don't draw a card, but don't you gain, gain two life? Yeah, you gain two and you gain hexproof and as rebound. That card, I have no clue why it's in the deck. Um, I mean, I guess it's for Thoughtseize, but it wasn't good. So I, I felt like there were a lot of questionable deck building decisions. The only thing I liked that there were fewer Planeswalkers. There was only two Tef, one Jace. I think with Unholy Heat and loads of bolts going around, it's really hard to protect your Planeswalkers. Just play Teferi Time Ravelers. You know, you're, you're playing it for the bounce and the draw, not for it survives all the time. So I liked that. 
But apart from that, I wasn't really impressed uh, with the list team. Oh, actually, no, I was impressed with Geist of St. Traft in the sideboard. Um, you know, a lot of people used to play Monastery Mentor, but obviously when everyone's playing Ragavan, there's loads of removal. Geist, you can't kill it. So that was that was actually really good. That was something I, li I liked and came away with. Modern's come full circle. Geist yeah, in the sideboard. What a transformation. Yeah. But um, after playing Blue White, I decided I'm not touching it again. I saw Andrea was playing a really cool um, five-color bring-to-light deck, the fifth color being black for Valky, nothing else. You know, you play four Prismatic Ending, four Chalice, four Ren, four Dryad, four Tef, four bring-to-light, escape shift, and two Omnaths, the rest lands, um, and Valky and Explorers. That was really good. I think, I think only having four Prismatic Ending was terrible because, like I said earlier, with Dashing Ragavan, you don't have a Tef plus on the table. You literally can't kill Ragavan game one. So I lost to a lot of Ragavans. Just dash. You can't kill. But what I did like is that Chalice of the One stop dashing Ragavan. There's a one drop on the table. You play Chalice on one. You play Teferi. You bounce it. That was huge against Hammer Time. Um, against Hammer Time, they played Sigarda's Aid. And then I played turn two, Chalice on one. And then they played Stoneforge Mystic so that they could violin the... Uh, the hammer so then i just bounce the cigar to aid and then obviously they can't recast it and they can violin the hammer but it doesn't obviously attach because of uh reasons so i like yeah, that chalice of boy is really good against hammer time that's for, that's for sure and one yeah. of the we sort of seeing like a lot of chalice of boys and sideboards of, of other decks as a kind of answer to cascade spells and i was even playing i was playing some in murktide and i've seen them in other other kind of like you know dragon race channel or ragavan kind of shells and i was kind of wondered what the point of choosing that card as, as your hate card is and just feeling this frustration when you can't bring it in in certain matchups because it's just KOs like 40 cards in your deck mm. and you can't really you can't really cast it like that I was always really frustrated that I'd see it in my sideboard and be like I'd really like to bring you in here but it's just I can't board out enough cards to not make this an absolute liability mm -hmm. kind of like locking yourself under your own blood moon is bringing in Chalice of One and his Ragaman mm. decks but yeah, I've, I've been impressed with the Chalice of, out of the control shells because there's just so many you're so incentivized to fetch up a triumph on turn one anyway. You take turn one off, so you take turn one off a lot of the time, and then also your like premier removal spell is something that you can cast under a chalice one anyway. That's just you know, there's a recipe for kind of like just taking your free wins off chalice there and and foregoing the kind of not not getting involved in that game of one where you're like trying to use your mana as super efficiently as humanly possible. It's just yeah, a pretty pretty powerful card to have and something that you don't really expect when you're on the kind of or the or one drop side of the, the the table when you're playing against control, like you're supposed to like in that matchup, you're you're, you're pacing yourself, you're like you know trying to trade spells efficiently, and then suddenly you're like yeah cool, I've got the mana, I've got the mana that I counter the Teferi or whatnot, and they're like chalice for one, you're like oh I, this is this is just a huge spanner in the works, like I have to counter it because even though maybe it's not grading as my hand right now, like it just means that I have no live draws in my deck left at all. And you're trying to get your like small one, your lightning bolts, your unholy heats to do a lot more work than they, than it's actually printed on the card in those sort of matchups. And so you can't really just go, I just don't need that, that half of my deck anymore. Yeah. So there's those cards are the tool, or Chalice is the tool against uh, multiple different angles of, uh, of this like modern, like, you know, really cheap spells uh, dynamic that's going on right now is kind of a cool way to go with these control decks, I think. Should we talk a bit about. Jeskai Control, top four finisher, Mr. Mr. Not Wafo Cafriette. 
that's uh, Waffle Tapa's good friend. He he often gets mistaken for Waffle. And uh, yeah, getting it done. Free electrolytes in the main deck. Is that the key? Is that the key to control Harry? Just electrolytes in the main. Mass electrolytes and uh, that's the key to clickbait. That's all I'm good. gonna say. It's good against <laughs> Risen Reef. You know the all these Risen Reef going around. Okay. These Ragavans. It is good okay. against Risen Reef. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I mean, yeah, it must be good to be honest. What do you think about that? Just four bolt, four fire ice, four electrolyze. <laughs> I don't think Harry's ever existed in a time where electrolyze was actually good. Yeah, no, there's some some sweet cards. There's a timeless dragon in the list. He's playing the full counter spell suit, four counter spells, four charm, two cryptic command. And yeah, I guess that's that's his angle. The the free electrolyze was for snapcast range that's a lot of card advantage and i realize kind of card if it lines up well it's it's a great card but usually it doesn't and he ended up falling in the semis to etron um he didn't have much for etron a couple alpine moons in the sideboard i guess yeah there's nothing um, I could, there's nothing i can see if <laughs> they would do anything against eldrazi yeah it's rough because you don't have an answer to cavern or souls no field of rune in, in the build so Maybe maybe he struggled with that because you know counter spells and charms and cryptics are not bad against Heatron, but if they get if they get the cavern and they just get rid of every old draws, yeah, I guess it can get uh, all rough. If you, if you can never have these draws to slot him now, he doesn't even have a single copy of card like what's it called the red and one the land destruction spell. Cleansing wildfire. Yeah, that card might make a comeback because top top two finishes in the in the one challenge was. E-Tron against Monogreen Tron. Mm. Um, that makes sense, just beating up on all these Omnath deck. Um, free Surgical Extraction in the main deck of that Monogreen uh, Tron deck, that's... What? Yeah. It almost feels like it's got to be a misclick or something, or a typo, but... I'm not, 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 not sure what's up with that, yeah. It's kind of wild. Is it to like surgical merc tide when they mill themselves or something? I don't know I, why. I have honestly no idea. It makes no sense to me. I can't. I can't figure out why. Why it would be. My instinct would be that it's is largely that it's just like why Harry said. It's just kind of trying to like pinpoint, pinpoint target things that might might be really relevant versus um versus counter spell decks. Like maybe if you just try and snag. Snag their counter spells. Me, you just have advantage in the long game when that happens, or you know, yeah, sides or whatnot. But three copies is a lot. Yeah, that's crazy. I was gonna say in the, did we talk about timeless dragon out of Wafo Tapa's deck? We mentioned didn't it. mention it. I that, do love that card. That to me makes so much sense. It has eternalize as well, eh? Yeah, it is. It is value. You. I would like to point it out that I I said the card looked really great when it when it was spoiled. Can you get triumph from it? Is that how plane cycling works? Yeah. 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 It lets you go and get any anything with a plane subtype. That's that's nuts. I think this card's really good. I'm gonna try it. I think this could go in like five color control as well. No. I yeah, it could. Maybe. Maybe. Sorry, four color control. I meant. You might yeah. need you might not need the value in a deck like Omnath because you already have Omnath on the floor that's gonna give you so much value and if you're playing Risen Reef that too but in these control decks honestly they they you kind of get outvalued in a lot of matchups if you if you start trimming if you try to be too lean in some ways and have too many cheap removal spells uh, you can just end up getting outvalued if you don't have the card advantage so 
I mean, this is such classic Mr. Cafriette slash Wildfoot decks. You know, so much card advantage, four charms, three electrolytes, two cryptic commands, full four snapcasters, you know, and extra, you know, timeless dragon there. Um, you know, obviously some Teferis and whatnot, but trying to eke every every ounce of value he can. Exactly. This is just classic deck building from this pair of individuals, even though they're not actually a pair of individuals. I just, it's funny that you call them like Mr. Kafu at Slash Waffle, who is seen by the one person. Um, yeah, these, these, this person always, always does well. Yeah, once a month or so, they'll, they'll have this, have a really good finish. And it's always with this deck that will lose, that looks like it could lose in any number of different ways. It could lose with inevitability. It could lose to like you people getting under you, out being, being more mana efficient than you, comboing you, but they definitely will never beat you on card advantage, ever. They, they just have the card advantage element of the game locked up. It's always got like the maximum number of like Archmage charms and Esper charms. Or, and they're always doing something a little bit kind of quirky as well at the same time. And like Timeless Dragons, that element is... And electrolyze that element this this week or this finish. These are the sort of decks that like you you sleeve you get excited when you see them on the in the results and you sleeve them up and you have no idea how anybody managed to win a single game with these. You just get steamrolled over and over and over again in the leagues. But yeah, there's 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 things to like though. I think that you know Timeless Dragon is a cool card to be experimenting with for sure. And then we haven't seen Cryptic Command at all for ages and ages. And if people are turning up casting, you know elementals and they're casting Eldra Khan great creator and stuff like that having access to cryptic commands and stuff is that's that helps you fire mana access for sure yeah i mean i don't really have much else to say about modern really this week but all the decks look the format looks so healthy every time we looked at it these past weeks always healthy 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 you know i don't feel like rag events really that oppressive and I think I'm starting to change my mind on the Elementals deck. That's starting to look good. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying the format. Um, and I don't really know what there is to predict, honestly. I don't even know what's going to be good next week. Do you guys think Elementals is going to run it back? Nah, I reckon it's I reckon we're going to come back around again. And I reckon I reckon it's Merktide again. <laughs> I reckon we're back in the Merktide range. I would I would love to play against Eldrazi Tronan against... Green Tron with Blue Red Murktide. If people are actually mm. going to adopt those decks, that's that's definitely where I would want to position myself. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's more Tron, if there's more Tron hate in the sideboards too, or if it's just, you know, one weekend oh. this, one weekend that, and just little yeah. variants. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, do we want to move on to Historic? I just wanted to say that I completely agree with you about the the modern format looking nice and healthy and, and pretty enjoyable at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's it's still you know a lot of impact from Modern Horizons to me felt, but it's starting to settle down now, and we're seeing you know iteration and an evolution of you know strategies to fill fill you know just take take advantage of weakness weak spots in the meta metagame again. So yeah, great format, still a pleasure to play on Magic Online. Great to see people innovating and playing a whole bunch. I know. Uh, Andrea Meguchi has been playing heaps on stream the last couple of weeks, and it's been nice to watch him play Magic Online rather than Arena. I'd never actually tuned into his channel at all before he started playing Moto, so I've just I've been hanging out there every morning. Yeah, speaking of no iteration in that Jessica controller, it's not even one or two copy. You know, sure, I understand you really don't want to tap out, but cards so busted. Ooh, that's a really that's a good observation. Really, I feel really like maybe you, you you still get to play one or two copies. Just because it's such a powerful card, sometimes it's just too good to pass up. But 
Yeah. I guess the other thing we don't really talk about is these uh, indomitable creativity decks that seem to have been doing okay as well. It's another kind of angle you can take the Jeskai control, essentially. These are the um, Dwarven Mine decks with Dwarven Mine and Indominal Creativity to, to tutor up either. I don't want to ever say the name of the dragon. It's a, it's almost as hard to pronounce for me as the as, as Asmo or whatever it is. <laughs> it's the thing that gets time walks or whatever. The 7-7 seven, seven with the haste, seven, seven, vigilance. The 7 mana 5-5 five, five with haste and vigilance that lets you look at the top. I'm going to say 7 cards. It's like equal to its power, right, or something? No, but they don't even play that card anymore. They play. I think it was Zanzier who started playing Emrakul instead. Yeah, this oh, this, this version has Emrakul as well. I think that was, that was the original evolution is a Time Walk deck, like a port a port of the historic Time Walk deck, and now it's just Nahiri's and Emrakul. So this kind of multiple pronged game plan of tutoring up Emrakul and getting an attack in with it, which I think is really it's really quite impressive deck building and another angle if you you can take your red, white, and blue spells. I th- I guess I've not had a chance not had a chance to play it, but Historically, I've kind of enjoyed these combo control decks, so maybe it's something that I should I should I should give a go this week. Though I have to track down four red and six. I only have one. I'll have some red and six. Well, I'll definitely borrow them off you. Maybe give this a go because these decks like this deck definitely goes over the top of stuff like elementals really well. I think. All right. Well. I've been playing a bit of everything this week, a little modern. I think I played some cube, and uh, I had um, I was qualified for the Inside Esports Invitational, Summer Invitational. Uh, that happened when I made top four, and you know I got pretty lucky. The one Inside Esports tournament I played, I, I made top four, qualified me for that tournament. It was two thousand dollars for first, and ended up having only seventy-six players. I think there was one hundred and thirty-two people who qualified but only a little over half of that played and I had to pick a standard deck and a historic deck and I'd been playing a bunch of historic but mostly kind of new decks, new brews. I've been playing that Bard class deck. Uh, Bard class is a, the red-green class that uh, works with legends. It reduces cost of legends so basically you play four of that and you play all red-green legends and you hope to play Bard class on turn two. If not, you still have you know, maybe Lanner Alf into a free drop, into a four drop, and can win games like that. But uh, that that deck was pretty powerful and fun. I played a bit of Hammer Time. So the way it works in Historic is you have to play the plus two. There's a plus two, plus two pump spell for one white that if you target a warrior, you can equip an equipment to it. So you play all warriors. You play that card, you play Hammer, and you also play the, the white-red... Um, it's a legend, it's 5-3, and it's kind of like a pure steel paladin, but not really. You get to equip for zero once a turn. So once a turn, you can move your hammer around. You also have the, the foreman and a Heary that makes a token and equips a hammer to it. It's it's kind of janky, but it was doing work. Season Hellblade was pretty strong for me in some matchups, and the, the deck had, had kind of legs, honestly. Also, what else that that? Trial Neoform, that was always kind of shaky as usual. I play a bit of Jeskai Control. I felt like the loss of Brainstorm was pretty impactful. And I, I only played a few matches, but I, I felt I felt a difference, you know, in consistency and whatnot. Maybe, maybe my, my list wasn't quite right. And um, yeah, so I decided to just play for standard. I knew I was just going to play Raph's Gruel deck, even though it, it wasn't good for me at all this season. The two times I played it in MPL, I, I did terrible. But he had been tuning the deck, a couple of disdainful strokes in the main de- in the sideboard that had been really good for him. And um, 
I was, I was okay with that choice. And I was up Friday night going through the list on Neely's and looking at the top tier decks, John Food, White Black Auras. I didn't really want to play the, the Gearhulk Jeskai control version. And I ended up selling on Phoenix. It sounded fun to me. I think it was Michael Burnett who followed a, a tournament this week. This week, And then Sandy Doc copied his list and 4-1. And the list made sense. You lose Brainstorm, but... It means you don't have to play Fable Passage anyway anymore, which is kind of a bonus. And you replace Brainstorm with Warlord's Fury or Crash Through. Actually, that's the only card I changed. Yeah, the Warlord's Fury, which is a red cantrip sorcery speed. Your creatures gain first strike. And I didn't get why you would value first strike over trample. So I can't imagine why you would want to want first strike when you have uh, is it Crackling Drake? Yeah, you have Crackling Drake in that deck. There's Trampling a huge Crackling Drake over in the late game. Yeah, I mean, I could see right in, in Phoenix's battle, if you want to be able to attack in their Phoenixes and yours live. And But yeah, the, the Trample was actually decent for me in one match. Maybe it was just an oversight, you know, when Bernat built his list, he just kind of forgot about Crashland and Sandy Dog just copied it blindly. And who knows, maybe maybe there's there's spots, but... It's interesting you know, that you feel the loss, the loss of... Um... Brainstorm significantly in Jeskai, but not in this deck. Do you really think it was just deck building, or is it just that get Jeskai was really propped up a lot by the the kind of hidden raw power from Brainstorm? Like, you just bails you out in so many spots where you're like, I don't really have a single out, but, you know, then Brainstorm lets you string together these turns or, you know, these kind of serious sequences of turns where you suddenly go from having needing two answers to having, like, one in excess or whatnot. I just... It seems a really hard card to compensate for in a deck like Jessica Control, but like in yeah, like you said in Phoenix, he just kind of slots the next best cantrip in and hope it's good enough. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why. It was a really small sample, you know, maybe it's just some kind of bias, but you you did you do play way more lands, so it, it is a big deal to be able to to shuffle away these extra lands. Um just just gonna help you with flood and screw way more, whereas Phoenix, you have four lootings anyways. And you have a lot of card advantage. You have entities you scry too, so you don't you don't feel the the loss of brainstorm as much because you have so much card manipulation anyways in the first place. So I think you know this this has to do with why it felt like a big loss for Jeskai and not honestly as big of a loss for Phoenix. And um, yeah, the the tournament went really well. I went four and zero in history. I hadn't played a game with either deck before the tournament. Well, I played these decks before, but not recently, and you know, I was just kind of pretty pretty relaxed about it. If I do well, good. It felt kind of free roll, anyways. Try to have fun with it, and um, yeah, Phoenix went well. I, I got pretty lucky in the Swiss. Not gonna lie, lots of my opponents getting screwed. I played a mirror match at two and where my opponent missed land drops both both games after you know they went like turn one up, turn two up, missed second land drop stuff like that. So that's pretty fortunate. Played a really close matchup against John Food. Um, played, played a bit against everything. I played against Jim Davis round one, playing Dragonstorm. That matchup was really close. Fun games, close games. Um, Phoenix is is really fun to play. Obviously, when you get, you know, maybe if they stick in our set, rest in peace, these kind of cards, it can be a bit frustrating to beat. Yeah, but it's definitely not fun to play when you, when they have not set in play. Yeah. But the, the, deck, the deck has a lot of game, and that's fun. And then in Standard, started off with... I don't a win against Winota. I think that matchup was quite good. It was kind of interesting. I, I didn't play the matchup before. And I, I win game one. It was against Arna. Game two, I cybered in a bunch of red cap melees. And 
a Kronor, a few other removal spells, and I lose. Didn't feel so so great. And then on the play, I just decided to not even have any red cap melees. I just brought in two Disdain Full Stroke, my Kronor, and another four mana card there's in the sideboard. I forget what it is. Surprising that you 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 found you found Gruel against Winota to be to be good. I mean, I've I've not played the matchup at all, but I played against Winota a lot on ladder over the last few days when I've been playing a bit of standard. And does this seem to get on board so far? They can present so many good blockers for you, and yeah, they have a, a similar kind of game plan. They can just they can kind of just not draw not draw you on the play, and then they they block really well. I don't, it's it's yeah. strange to me that it's, it'd be so good, but I guess Ember Cleaver is a big trump there when you, if you can't get that. No, I, I don't know if advantage. it's yeah. I don't know if it's so good. I only played did I played the matchup once or twice, maybe maybe twice. But they have a lot of mediocre cards. They're only playing one Bone Crusher. The stock list, I don't know the list I played against. They only had one Bone Crusher giant in the main deck. I guess they have no removal, right? Yeah, that's. That, that's yeah. a big problem. Yeah, they have no removal. They have some kind of mediocre cards. They only have one Bone Crusher Giant. And um, yeah, the Zainful Stroke just felt really good because they have the Winodas, but they also have Chariot. They have a Chrono War after sideboard. And, you know, you have all these treasures and extra mana from Sentinel that's not going to die in this matchup. So it kind of made sense to me. I, I mean, I didn't really need it in the games because I drew really well and my, my open stumbled a bit, but. Yeah, matchup felt I uh, felt like it was probably decent for Gruel. I uh, I lost to Hodgepodge, who ended up winning the tournament. She actually beat me in the Swiss and Standard, and then in the semis in, in Historic uh, against Jeskai Mutate. I killed a couple sketchy hands, drew poorly. I think the matchup's supposed to be good. Ref always says the matchup is decent because you have these four red cap millies after sideboard and it's kind of hard for them to get on board. I think maybe you should even bring in Disdainful Stroke just because their deck doesn't really function without Ghostfan Dragon in, in play. Can I put Once, you on the spot, Gab? Could you yeah. explain how this Dragon combo deck, Mutate combo deck works? Because I've yeah. seen it so many times and I have no idea what happens. So, so you have Ghostfan Dragon and then you have the two mutate creatures, uh, the Jeskai one that's rare and the I think it's white red that's uncommon. And basically... You can get an infinite loop at some point. I think if you have maybe one on each, one of each, you keep targeting your goldspan dragon with the spells. So you get so you get treasures and you like build up mana, you gain mana, and you get to cast spells over and over again, whether it's um you know, you can target your dragon with spike field hazard to generate mana, and then you can cast some Prismari commands and Maybe I'd substantiate to you, like bounce them okay. and redo it. So there's okay, so some you can loops. Loop Prismari command. Yeah, and you, you, can, them with loop you can basically command. go infinite, and you can, um, you know, a lot of games. I don't know about it a lot, but I've definitely lost a bunch that way. Is they just outvalue you? They have a ton of removal in their deck. Prismari command super annoying to play again when you rely on Ember Cleaves and Chariot. You know, you I, you board out Ember Cleave, I think in this matchup, but you need to keep in Chariot. But they're not super effective. They have they need Burning Hand, they have some Spike Field Hazards, Prismary Command, the Bounce Spell, some Counters. So they can just, if you, if you, Red Cap Melee is really good against them, but sometimes you don't have it, and they just play a creature, and then mutate on it, and mutate again, and Fire Prophecy, just kill all your yeah. creatures, and... It's kind yeah. of sounds similar to the, almost similar to the Indomitable Creativity decks that we were just that we ended ended our modern discussion with, where they kind of they got this normal game plan that's pretty effective against certain, you know, certain strategies, but then they can also just kind of go over the top as well. 
Yeah, that was maybe more inside board games. Maybe against something like Phoenix inside board games where you just bring in a lot of removal spells and you don't, you know, you don't the combo is nice, but you don't you don't necessarily need it. And um yeah. I, I just remember this deck being this thing that was spoken about in best of one, and I just never played best of one, so I didn't come across it at all at any point in time. And then it started turning up in these best of three tournaments, but I wasn't quite tuning in the coverage, so I never really learned how it worked. And so yeah, okay, yeah. it is it's an infinite loop. Uh, if you set up three mutate, two mutate creatures on the Goldspan Dragon, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think uh, I I don't know what what's what's the best deck in historic. I'm curious to see what people shop with in the Gauntlet. I feel like John Food, White Black Auras, Phoenix are all pretty good. I'm not so sure about Jeskai Control and Dragonstorm. If I had to guess, uh, you know, I think we're gonna see a lot of. John Food maybe based on Hot Hot Win. I think I played against Nick Price too, who was on the exact same list. I'm guessing they they test together, unless they just maybe randomly picked up the, the same list. But it's interesting. They don't even really play Claim anymore. They just play a few Fatal Pushes, Scorching Dragon Fire, few Utility Spells, and um, that deck's pretty pretty well rounded. And there are some decks I think that are really good against John Food. I think something like maybe Neoform can be really good against John Food. Maybe some of the, you know, maybe something like Dragonstorm can be decent. But the problem is, I'm not sure there's enough you can, you know, there's enough. I think the meta is varied enough that you can't just expect, you know, 30 or 40% of John Food and just pick a deck that counters that. But that's going to be kind of weak to, uh, you know, to maybe mystical dispute decks to Phoenix and, and whatnot. So, yeah. I was um because we did see a, we did see a, uh, a very heavy John John meta game just before the release of Strixhaven so before the historic or the Mystic Archives came came into print and you know that was kind of forty or fifty percent John food I think this is the tournament that you all played the uh, Assault Al- Ultimate yeah. com- yeah. combo deck but even though we had like a big a big ban in in historic and they've taken brainstorm away it still doesn't undo the printing of a card like faithful saluting which like single-handedly enabled the phoenix archetype which seems to me on paper should be pretty good against john food is that is, I, that, is that how it plays out in, in in practice i i don't know i i want a, a really close one against nick i did i did sideboard poor i did like timeout sideboarding for game two so i didn't have access to my sideboard card i might have won the match code on coach free i know if i hadn't Felt pretty close, and then I lost kind of badly in the semis. Game one, I had a pretty good draw, but she had a, a good draw as well. And then game two, I mulliganed to five. So I, I'm guessing the matchup's fairly close. It did look scary on paper after sideboard when they get a couple Soul Guy Lanterns, a couple Clothis. And um, I was maybe a slightly slightly ill-equipped. I only had one Aether Gust in, in my sideboard. Maybe if I was to play Phoenix again, I would have more copies of that card. And um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's probably a close matchup. And uh, yeah, you just being a, a, a proactive deck with Aether Gus is probably goes a long way in that matchup. Yeah, but have yeah, they have ways to slow you down and disrupt you. Binding's pretty effective against stuff like Stormwing Entity. That fatal push for your Sprite Dragons. Corvold is super scary. Maybe maybe this Dinful Stroke. You know, like maybe a second Aether Gus, maybe one copy of Stroke. You know, kind of. You know, some one-offs that kind of cover different areas to to have your bases a bit more covered. But uh, yeah, so you don't think think we're going to see kind of kind of dominated field. I mean, it's only a twenty-four player tournament this uh, 
challenging gauntlet, right? Can we yeah. can we just talk a little bit about the structure of that? I think from memory, it's twenty four player tournament, four top four qualify for both the MPL and for Worlds next year. Huge stakes, yeah. Yeah, monster stakes in a small field. I, I mean, it actually, is quite. It seems reasonable to me that we might see like one third, one third of a single deck, just given the fact that you know small number of players means that any any particular person choosing a deck just is a, is a large percentage of of the, of the total decks played. But yeah, it seems like Historic is pretty like open format. Is that a split? Is that a split format tournament as well? The Gauntlet they have standard and Historic to play, right? Yeah, stand, six rounds of standard, six six rounds of Historic, cut to a top twelve playoff where there's an upper bracket and a lower bracket, depending on how well you you place in the in the Swiss. Twenty four players. These are the top finishing challengers from all three championship this year, the Arena Championship. So. And a There's, challenger is explicitly someone who wasn't in the MPL or Rivals. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, Look at me. I, they're, they're they're axing it, and I finally got my head around it. Yeah. It's still two years. Pr- pretty tough field. Some some maybe not the biggest names, but you know, some some players who have solid finishes in in pro tours and grand prix before. You've got uh, John Girardo, who's a French player who qualified for a bunch of arenas championships. He's actually the one who almost knocked me out of a of MPL. He he beat me in the last round of the last tournament of the year and I thought that was it. I thought that was the match I needed to win to I'd already clinched world and I thought that was the match I needed to win to clinch MPL. And it turned out I the breakers were cut and I finished exactly 16s. And so it's kind of crazy. There's Arna who won who was one of the championship winners because who was it? It was Brad Barkley, Arna, and I forget who was the third championship winner out of the lot. Was it okay, maybe Sam Pardee? I think it was Sam Pardee, right? Oh, was that, but was Sam Pardee in Rivals? No. He, he might not have been, actually. No. So, yeah, Sam Pardee was on the biggest name. You got Jan Moix Merkel, who's a Pro Tour winner, just super, super good Magic player. You, I mean, you've got a bunch of, you've got Logan Nettles, Jabberwocky, um, Matty Kuzma. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. Honestly, it's kind of, kind of cool. It's almost more fun in some ways to 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 watch this field because it's not players you've seen all year round in rivals and MPL, so it's you know a bit more fresh and I feel exciting in some ways. So yeah, four slots, huge stakes because Worlds this year is guaranteed minimum fifty five thousand dollar, even if you finish dead last. So there's gonna be some. Some high equity matches. Uh, I think someone was saying that, that it's like a hundred thousand dollars equity to make top four. Well, hundred thousand US between the, just the world's prize purse and the MPL contract. Yeah, it's close to that because fifth through twelve still gets a rivals contract, so you get a little money from that. But yeah, because yeah. worlds is what a million divided by sixteen. That's what eighty k plus MPL contracts. I mean, what there's between rivals and. And NPL, there's maybe 10 or 15k difference. So yeah, it is it is close to big uh, money. This might be the highest equity tournament that anyone that any of these people have ever played in. Oh yeah, almost definitely. I mean that almost anyone played in. You know, I uh, I like to talk how I have the record for losing uh, the the highest EV match in the in the history of Magic uh, when I lost to Manguchi in that uh, Pax Invitational. The oh, yeah. EV of the match of the one match was hundred and twelve thousand dollars, I think. And uh, you know, maybe some people have lost higher EV matches if you factor MPL, especially if you factor like multiple seasons of MPL. So 
but you know for straight up you know one tournament one match you know something that's kind of in a vacuum yeah and it was an easy to easily quantifiable amount of money yeah, on that one yeah exactly i think the the idea of like you know you want a match to qualify in 2017 that qualified you for three seasons of mpl or whatever is yeah it's hard to kind of you know put any you know, way up that that win in, this, in the moment but yeah hundred hundred thousand plus matches of magic are going to get played this weekend and it's it should be more exciting than it feels yeah would you get nervous in that match you're playing for 100k gab or do you not do you not feel that type of feeling anymore once i'm in the game you don't i don't really think about it but i was definitely thinking about it before you know going in i knew i had done the man it was ridiculous we actually tried to split with andrea and then he was okay <laughs> with it but then he wasn't really technically allowed to split but i think we could have split it would have been fine and is that because he was in the mpl at the time and yeah they was, laid was, down was, ground rules for mpl players at that point yeah, but yeah. I think it was like a different scenario, so it would have been fine for us to to split. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was a bit, uh, you know. Did do you did you in general do you get nervous in, in, in tight spots though, like or in high equity spots? Like you've probably played a bunch of poker as well. I'd... I th- I think I do. I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of crumbling. Honestly, I despite the good year I had this year, I feel like. On arena in these arena tournaments and just playing from home, I've been a little crumbling under pressure. I just play much slower, much more hesitant. Uh, I'm not able to just kind of play confidently. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess it, it it does get to me, and it's yeah. it's it's interesting that 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 level of mentality. I, I, I've, a friend of mine from back in Perth uh, who made you know a large amount of money playing online poker and stuff in his in his 20s we once asked him how he how he handled like playing these huge swingy swingy spots he's just like i just don't care like it's just i just i just feel nothing in these spots and then maybe he's being like a little bit like you know, kind of you know modest but he's not he's not the sort of person to kind of put on bravado in 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 my understanding but the idea of not being out of not really caring if you win a hundred thousand dollars or lose a hundred thousand dollars is kind of it's unfathomable to me. I mean, I've I've played matches of magic that you know felt felt high pressure and I, I thought I was reasonably calm and collected, but I can imagine it being just as you ramp up the stakes, it's just life changing money. It's just yeah. I don't. I'm not even sure it's about the money. Honestly, it's just it's not like I, it's just like it's still a big deal to qualify for wall. It's more like the qualifying for tournaments maybe than the actual thinking about money yeah. i'm not sure i will say that i've felt more nervous in playtesting matches when there's been people watching me than i have felt playing for top eight of the grand prix before so there is there's there's there's, there's different forms of pressure and different forms of kind of like i guess e- equity i guess <laughs> that, are, that are on the line yeah yeah but you've been crumbling you feel like your, your play has been suffering a little bit recently is it is it being on stream or is it like even your off-stream matches I'm not sure, honestly. I'm not sure if it has to do with the fact that I'm streaming or that maybe I haven't practiced enough sometimes with the deck I play. I have to. Maybe I should think. I mean, I've I've thought about it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Just tighten up your mental game, Gab. Yeah, I do. I do need to. <laughs> so, do you like do you like this gruel gruel deck in standard because? I like it. I, I kind of like it a lot. I think you get the new Manlands too. They're really good with the Hydra. That's, yeah, the layer of the Hydra looks really good. On extra one ones for Lot Strike Bees that can come up. Even the Den has been pretty good for people. I think these 
couple of the Zaneful Strokes. It's something we came up with at the very last second last time, and Raf ended up playing them, and I didn't I didn't pull the trigger. I was actually kind of worried about the whole pathway situations, playing so many pathways all weekend. I was I had been misclicking pathways here and there on Arena because sometimes you bring it up, and if you like kind of don't click the right way, it it goes straight up to the one of the pathways and not the one you need. So I factored in the equity of misclicking a pathway and the decision not to play the strokes. But yeah. uh, I think you got to like they're... really carefully drag to the very center of the screen and bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> and bring it nah, up. Lest, nah, you, lest you let go of your mouse button at the wrong time in the wrong spot of the screen. I yeah. definitely had that with cycling lands a few times. I think they're really good. I think you're you're decent against Sultai. I think you're probably favored against Winota. So I would, I would definitely play that deck. And um, for Historic, as I said, I'm not sure. You know, we're talking about Sultai Ultimatum. That's another one of these decks could be a medical. If you want to beat up on John Food, that's why we played the deck last time. It was really good against John Food. It was slightly favored against Auras, too, or somewhat, you know, decently favored against Auras. So if you if you get the good matchups, it can be really good. If you get paired against a bunch of disputes and vetoes, though, your life's going to be rough. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how wide, how varied the field is. If people, you know, if there's a lot of John Food because of the, the invitational results and Hot Fudge win, or... If, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, if someone, somehow, somehow people came up with something new, um, I, I don't know, I'm kind of excited to to see what what happens. Yeah, I mean, I've, I actually dipped my toes in standard a little bit this week, like as I mentioned a little bit before, I just saw a bunch of people playing the standard metagame challenge on Arena and posting their successful, six, their, their, their money-making results rather than their losing results, and I had a bunch of quests to clear, so I you know, picked up Blue Black Rogues again, and I've been queuing it with Winota all the time on the ladder. And honestly, with main deck creeping, uh, Crippling Fear, I want to call it Crippling Fear. I can't remember the name of the card. Yeah, that's, that's the card, minus three, minus three. Yeah, speaker. minus three, minus three to non-rogues, or sometimes non-crabs, occasionally non-cat. Um, with with that card in the main deck, I felt like that Winota match was pretty good, but I'm not winning with damage. I'm just decking them every time with, with crab because I don't interact with it at all. And their life gain from uh, Prosperous Innkeeper really sometimes makes it hard for you to nickel and dime them out. But there seems like standard formats got some new 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 tools in it. I mean, the creature lands from uh, from the latest set, uh, the more tools for Winota as well. Uh, even even the lair the lair of the Hydra is really good for Winota as well. It's just a, a creature that attacks. It's a non a non human creature that attacks when you have Winota in play, even if they're interacting with your with your board pretty effectively. Innkeeper, obviously, another non-human. It's a halfling, so that, that gets another trigger. So Winota's like a new deck in the in the format. Still play against lots of Salt Eye Ultimatum. It might be the sort of thing where, like, maybe it is Rogue's time, and so uh, Gruul, again, is like a, a hard deck for Rogue's to beat up on. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be close either way. Lots of these matchups run pretty close, you know, whether it's Salt Eye against Gruul, Gruul against Rogue's, even Rogue's against Salt Eye. There's yeah, give and I mean, take. You're talking about crippling fear in the main deck. That's something really going to be great for you if you get paired against Salt Eye. And every card mat- matters so much in these matchups. You know, you draw the one extra dead removal. That can be the difference between winning and losing super easily. Yeah, I've definitely played that Salt Eye Ultimatum matchup where I draw like the Power Word Kill or the or the Heartless Act and being like, I really hope they just have Gargaroth here. <laughs> just, yeah. When they have Gargaroth, you just pump it. <laughs> get to trade my card for your card. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a bit sad to me that this tournament for such high stakes is going to be you know same old same old. But it seems like no one really knows what's great in historic at the moment. And 
I think the, some player, there's been some up to, upgrades in standard that just haven't got any focus as well. Like no one's yeah. cared about standard at all. So it's it's finally in the spotlight. And I doubt the people who are qualified this tournament playing in it weren't absolutely just spending every hour of every day trying to figure out what was good and what was not. It's almost like a wide open format, wide open pro tour for those people, actually. So yeah. They probably had a great time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the formats are are kind of exciting. And then for the next gauntlet, we'll have the the new the new Jumpstarts card for historic, the the you know the standard meta will be maybe a bit more settled. I'm sure a lot of the people's play, people playing in the rivals and the and the MPL gauntlets are waiting for that tournament to see the standard results to get really serious about it, and obviously they're waiting for Jumpstart to get serious about historic. So. Feel for the first time in a long time we're gonna have you know cool kind of real you know somewhat new formats this time. Then the next time it'll be you know new kind of new historic formats. And is there much lag time between the release of the Jumpstart stuff and the the Gauntlets? So August twelfth is Jumpstart, and I believe the next Gauntlet is. I think there's one. Huh. I'm not sure exactly how much time there is between Rivals and 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 MPL Gauntlets. It might be like two weeks, like three weeks, and then three weeks after or something like, you know. Right. Okay. But um. Well, hopefully it's not all completely solved by that point in time. Yeah. And we can actually see something interesting because although I was, you know, last week we spoke about these arena-only cards, I was pretty kind of uninterested in in finding out what they're like. A part of me is morbidly curious to see what sort of impact it has on a format with, you know, what is essentially very, very powerful cards in in historic. Yeah, um, there's probably going to be a lot of historic played once the new cards come out, but it's going to be a, 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 I don't know, a brand new format, but lots of impactful cards coming in. It's just it's it's impossible to perceive how much upheaval this this jumpstart set's going to have. I just I don't I can't. Normally you look at a spoiler and like, yeah, like people are pretty bad at predicting what's good and what's bad, but at least cards look tangible, like you understand them for the most part. A lot of these cards in Historic, I just don't understand how powerful they are from the jumpstart, yeah. the jumpstart set. I just can't figure it out. You know, what is accepting someone's accepting someone's terms and conditions really? Like, how does how does that play? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, actually, MPL Gauntlet and Rivals are the same. I knew what, there was one that was on the first weekend of September. They're on the same... same uh weekend uh, first weekend of september so three okay. weeks after just oh, that's, and that's so a pretty long time really in, in magic arena times it, it is but it's also yeah you know maybe it's summer maybe there'll be fewer people streaming um and what else i want to say the fact that also people have been playing a lot of the, the future standard 2022 makes makes it that standard stays a bit more fresh you know you don't see it ad nauseum on people stream and people are not playing as much so you don't have as much data and it's not as clear which which decks are good which decks are not etc so I, w- I will ask this question I, i've seen significantly more magic online recently than i have uh arena streams people just been moving away from streaming arena just because it's been if their focus was constructed or whatnot they they just struggle to kind of stay engaged in that in in the current situation just waiting for rotation is that kind of how you feel has been going on or are people moving towards streaming the standard 2022 and ignoring everything else it's still only best of one queues right for that future standard yeah i think it is i'm not too sure maybe it's just you know 
lower numbers because of summer and enough COVID and people are getting out more. Well, quote unquote, enough COVID. Um, <laughs> yes. My opinion on it is that Arena is easier to stream for longer. So I can easily do an eight hour stream on Arena, but it's a lot more boring. However, Magical Line is a lot more fun, but it requires a lot more energy. That's how I, because Arena, you drag, you know, everything auto taps, whereas Magical Line, you got to think about, you tap your mana, blah, 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 blah. So I feel mm. like that's my opinion on it. Arena is easier, but more, a bit more boring than Magical Line is more effort, but a lot more fun. Yeah, I can see that. I know about a lot more fun, but maybe you'll have more stuff to look forward to when you're playing Modern on Magic Online. You've got prelims and you've got the showcases and the challenges every weekend, so it kind of leads yeah. up to that, whereas on Arena, there's not as much you know, big tournaments to look forward to, especially with kind of the year coming ahead that's kind of hiatus year. You're still going to have these free Arena championships, but maybe not a ton to look forward to right now um, yeah the the built-in tournaments in the client for magic online really do a lot to drive its continual engagement oh yeah i sort of agree i sort of agree with harry i, I find that you can kind of mindlessly sit there and while away time on arena though i i do find that i don't play as many matches on arena yeah you know, for as a function of as a function of time for any given amount of time i play it if I spend like an hour playing Arena, I'll play maybe two matches, but I can play like maybe three matches in on Magic Online or two and a half or something like that. Yeah, I agree that Arena is not much faster. Uh, you know, when I play these control decks, sometimes I'll stream for three hours and maybe play five, six, seven matches. Yeah, I feel like even if I'm lucky, sometimes I'll sit down and be like, oh, cool, I've got an hour of like you know, lunch break on from working from home or, 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 or just a little bit of time to dedicate to. I'll just. I'll just play a couple of matches on Arena and I just I queue into someone who's playing like a deck that's a little bit slow and suddenly a match really does take like 40 minutes or something like that to play best of three. Whereas on on Magic Online, realistically, like kind of over and done with a 10 minutes of chess clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's interesting. I, it's I all, all, the, all the hotkeys and stuff like that make it so much easier. Yeah. I, I do agree with Harry as well that it feels a bit easier on Arena to just auto tap, play drag, maybe like gives you more mental energy to interact with chat and exactly it's, it's that engagement side of thing that it really it really facilitates quite well but but i also agree that you know climbing the ladder is cool but it's not super meaningful whereas leagues is you know your four one five zero prizes all the time so yeah no i agree with harry's assessment i feel i feel the same way Easy. i'm optimistic that they're going to continue having both of those clients supported for a long time now <laughs> Do you agree with my assessment that we should life on the line? All right, let's go. Easy. Right, For I'm those right of you down. listening, don't know what life on the line is. It's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. If you lose, you die. Got to bring a deck from every format. We talked about this episode. So I guess modern, historic, and standard. Uh, I'm just going to start this off with I'm dead because I didn't really listen to what Gab and Pat were saying. So in modern, you I'm You don't listen to the midweek metagame at all. No, that's fine. Just by editing it. The people listening right now listen to the podcast more than I do. <laughs> but um, I'll play four color control in modern, in historic and standard. I will play uh, in historic. I guess I'll play like Jund, Sacrifice, maybe. I don't know. Standard, I'll play like some aggro deck. Is Winotus? Oh, I'll play Rogues in standard. Easy. Yeah, that'll be fun. Boom. Very insightful uh, from me. What about you, Pat? 
okay, I'm just trying to figure out my mind what I would do in in modern exactly. In in standard, I'll play rogues as well, and I'll play main deck uh, creeping fear or crippling fear. For for historic, I think that I think Jun food is what I would settle on doing. I was playing it a little bit prior to Strixhaven coming out. I have I'm, I'm familiar with it and and comfortable. I think that Corvolts uh, is a really 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 good magic card, and so. Yeah, I could probably I could see that being 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 a fine choice though. How how are you going to tech for the mirror is is another story. And then in in modern, I will continue playing Merktide, but yeah, I'll just continue playing Merktide. I just I played a little bit with Grixis over this week, and I didn't I didn't like it as much. And I think that it's significantly weaker against decks like Eldrazi Tron, Regular Tron, and also against Elementals due to the lack of Blood Moon. So I will be blue red Merktiding. All right, I'm going to play Elementals in Modern. I'm not exactly sure which which version, but maybe default to Canisaur's uh, build. In Historic, I think I would run it back with Phoenix, maybe a few tweaks, uh, make sure I have the deck to look the way I want it to look against Junk Food. And in Standard, I'm going to play a Grohl with the, the Blue Splash for a couple of his Dangerful Trokes in the sideboard. Yeah. Awesome. I guess we should also do the prices right using the card market. What card should we do this week? Uh, How about endurance? That's fine. Endurance is fine. All right, let's go. Okay, Gab, because you're the elementals player. What what you start? What price do you think endurance is on card market right now? So it's the mythics from Modern Horizon Two. Probably he's plays Legacy Two. I'm gonna go. It's cheapest, cheapest version, right? Yeah, cheapest English copy. Yeah. I'm gonna go 39 euros. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna go with. I feel like it's a mythic, and paper takes a long time to catch up to online. In in some cases, specifically this, because I feel like it's under the radar. It's kind of like a sideboard card still in people's minds. I'm gonna go with 18 euros. Yeah, I was going to get in that mark as well, Harry. So I think I'm going to take a 20, 20 euros because I think that it's got a bit of gloss on it because it's a pitch spell. Wow. It's actually 28 euros. Cheapest. Cheapest copy. That's the pad got closest. You were pretty close, though. <laughs> What's closer than I you to be, I'll be honest. 39. Really? What did you say, Pat? You said 21? He said 20, 20. 20 flat. And I said 39. So oh. he, was, he was 8 away and I was 11 away. That's crazy, eh? 30 euros? Played perfectly. There's nothing I mean, it's done. a mythic that's played in... That's super important if you're playing. Yeah, it's, it's pre-order was 19. People pre-ordered it at 19. It's now at... Oh, apparently it's selling at like 31 more like... Uh-huh. So we're, we're the MTG Finance cast now. Wait, wait, wait. Is it 28 or is it 31? Because... <laughs> uh the cheapest is 28.99 but the last sale was 31 apparently so all right colors it's a wrong. draw it's a draw <laughs> okay you can have it because the last confirmed sale was 31 31 for sponsoring the podcast yeah thank you card market and uh as always you know when the end end the episode gab where can we find you on the internet on twitter at gab Nassif. 
and especially on my stream, Twitch TV slash Yellowhead. I stream most days, so if you ever have a question or want to say hi, that's the best way to do so. Awesome. You can find me anywhere into that, HaramTG. I think right now I'm trying to just upload one YouTube video a week. I was aiming for two, but I'm lazy. So <laughs> one video a week on the YouTube. I'm trying to stream once a week as well. Check me out on Card Market Stream and YouTube every Wednesday, every Monday. I'm on Card Market's Twitch and YouTube, so check it out there. What about you, Pat? find me anywhere on the internet to get on this close to mine and i'll be just doodling around in twitch chat kind of doing my thing awesome well if you made it this far into the episode as always really appreciate you thank you so much for supporting us and listening to the cast and i guess we'll see you guys next week later take care everyone